where truth continues to be contested and twisted. We also know if we don't obey the truth, then we must live with the consequences of not obeying the truth. Truth is contested in, on the radio, on television, on the internet, in schools, in your communities, sometimes by your families. Truth is twisted in such a way that if we're not careful and we're not quick to go back to the author of truth, then we too can be pulled away. We can be enticed by this partial truth. And partial truth leaves us with consequences that John is talking about. It ultimately could leave us far, far away from God in the pit of hell. So we have these lies that kind of run through our system of the world that we live in today. Lies that make us and want us to believe otherwise. Lies that go something like this. We've heard them in some form or fashion, but these are the lies that we daily are combated with, that we daily are confronted with. Lies that say things like this. It's not as bad as everyone says it is. Or no one will ever find out. Or white lies aren't as bad as big lies. Or you need to be happy, so do it. Or things have changed since God wrote the Bible, and that no longer applies to our day. So that truth was written 2,000, 4,000 years ago. So it's changed now. It doesn't mean the same that it meant to that original audience that it means to us. To even were the discerner, were the receiver, and the giver of truth. Or God loves everyone so much that he would never have a plan that people actually go to hell. Or marriage is no longer just one man and one woman. Or it's okay to sleep together before marriage to see if we're compatible. Or homosexuality isn't a sin. So what do we do with those lies? How do you know whether they're truth or they're partial truth or they're a contested truth or a twisted truth? There must be a source. There must be an absolute source of truth that all of us can go to. There must be a place that says, now this is the standard of measurement of truth. And we know what that standard is. There's only one complete standard of absolute truth when it comes to living out this life, and it's the Word of God. Any other version that's contrary to the Word of God, any other man-made law, any other man-made system that is contrary to the truth of God's Word isn't truth. It's twisted truth. So let's define what the word truth is. Truth is a verified or indisputable fact about something. So, if that's the case, and you're wondering what I should do, or who Jesus is, or God is, where do we find the verified or indisputable truth? You will find it back into the original source of truth, which is the Word of God. Or truth can be defined this way. Fidelity to a required standard or law. Like there must be something that lines up with this original source. It's, 
infidelity with. It, it, it lines up. It, it is exactly what it says it is. It matches. It's the actions and behaviors of this source of truth. So we must always go back to the source of truth. John hits us hard today, as if he hasn't already been hitting us hard. And he's warning us about people, about systems, about philosophies that will drag us away and entice us to believe another truth. And if we're not careful, we too can be sucked away to begin to believe the systems that man has put into place. Here's what I know to be true. Truth is under siege in our world. And it will get increasingly more difficult for you and I who call ourselves, not only call ourselves, but are and act as Christ followers. You will be attacked. You will be resisted or even hated for proclaiming truth. Just begin to say some of the hard truths in love and grace to someone in your community, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your school, someone in your workplace, and watch what happens to those who have just twisted it a little bit, who have moved away from it. Watch how they begin to contest and treat you. You have heard me say on many occasions here at Grace as I preach, I love you too much to not tell you the truth. And then I'll say something like this, I don't even care if you like me but I need you to tell you the truth. I've even been accused of being arrogant for saying that phrase. Let me just say this. I don't say that out of arrogance. I say that because I'm not here to get the applause of man. I'm here to get the applause of God, and I want to tell you the truth. And the truth comes from God's word. We either believe the truth and act on it, or we live with the consequences of not living out the truth. So how do, we, how do we determine truth? We go back to God's word. And by the way, how do we live it out? Like, in theory, it sounds really good. But let me give you a practical way of living out truth. We are called, when you are called to this commitment and covenant under God called marriage, when a, a, a wife and a husband say, I do, I will, I commit to, when they sign their name to this document, they are saying, I will love God first, and I will serve you and love you more than I love myself. But do we really believe that truth? How do you know when you believe that truth? Let me give you just a a, a clear example of someone who really lived out this truth in even the marriage context. Let me just give you a simple application point. When we sacrificially deny ourselves for Christ's sake, it's the clearest evidence of our committed love. A committed love is best demonstrated through sacrifice. When we deny ourselves for another person, it communicates true love. Kyle Eidelman said this, A friend of mine told of the time he knew that his wife really loved him. He says he was coming into the kitchen for dinner. As he was walking down the hall into the kitchen, he could see the table where the food was. His wife didn't know he was watching as she was pouring Pepsi into two glasses, one for him and one for her. There was a little bit of Pepsi left in one two-liter bottle that had been open for more than a week. She also had out a brand new bottle of Pepsi to open. She filled one glass with the no-fizz, flat, old Pepsi. And the second glass she filled with the freshly, newly 
open Pepsi. After she had finished pouring, he went in and sat down at the table. And he wondered to himself, at whose place is she going to put that flat, stale Pepsi, mine or hers? When his wife walked over to the table with the two drinks and put the flat Pepsi at her plate, my buddy said he never felt so loved. A commitment to someone, so God says, I will honor the values, I will honor the commitments that we made to each other by putting you first. So if we walk in this world and call ourselves Christ followers, then we must put God first and we must live in such a way that shows that we believe the Bible to be true. Truth makes others uncomfortable when they live with us, when they spend time with us. Have you ever been in a conversation where you've made a decision based upon the truth of God's word to not do something, and someone else has a twisted truth, or they have a partial truth, and they choose to do something else. And so there you are, not trying to make a scene of it, but this person begins to make a scene, and they begin to say something like, oh, oh, you religious person. And you're just saying, no, I just love Jesus too, Christ too much to not live out the truth. Grab your Bibles, and we're about to go on a truth or consequence journey today. And turn to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 18 and 19 to begin. So turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. If you don't own one, take it home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church to you. When you find 1 John in your New Testament near the end of your Bible, stand with me and we're going to read verses 18 and 19 together. 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19. Would you read this out loud with me together? Ready, read. Dear children, this is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You may have a seat. John begins this passage by saying, there are anti-Christ people out there. They're against Christ. There are plural them. And there's the anti-Christ, capital A, that's coming. As we know, we talked about in our End Times series, that he could be alive today. And you heard me say, I believe it's possible that he is alive today. I believe we are living in the last days. And that's why this message is even more pertinent today to us than any time in history. Because Christ could rapture the church today. And John is saying, don't be left behind believing a false truth. Because if you have allowed the partial truth or twisted truth about God to infiltrate your life, then you will be left behind. And so he gives a warning at the beginning. Be careful who you listen to. Advice is cheap in our world today. The Bible is clear that you and I should receive godly counsel when we seek to move forward. How often have you witnessed advice in the workplace? How often have you witnessed someone 
who's going through a, a tough patch in their marriage, gone to someone and saying, hey, this is happening in my marriage. And then this person who gives this advice, who never has to live with the consequences of that advice, saying, oh, I'd just leave them. Oh, I, I, I would just let them go. Like just, just move on. How many times have you seen that kind of advice in the workplace that says, I would just do this? You see, advice is cheap. Because the person who's often giving that advice doesn't have to live with the consequences of it. But John reminds us there are many antichrists out there. Many friends that you might have that go to school with you. Many people that you work with that that have a a form of godliness. Like they, they they have a churchy appearance to them. And there might even appear at a time that they went to church. He says be careful of those. Make sure when you get advice from them that you go back to the word of God and you check it against what his word says. Otherwise you will be led astray like many others have, and not only led astray, eventually you will be gone, and you wonder what happened to them. I am personally deeply concerned in the day that we live in, and here's why. Because we can get whatever we want with the touch of a keypad on a computer, or we can listen to whomever we want to listen to on a podcast, or we can read anything we want in 140 characters or less. Or we can read and share a blog post that seemingly supports what we think is true. Or that our faith is built on what we like or what supports our lifestyle. On how we do church or how we spend our money or even what relationship with Jesus looks like. All of us can find someone to agree with poor decisions or partial truth decisions that we make. All we have to do is Google Where can I find this? Show me when this happens. There it is. And there are just thousands and thousands of people and voices out there that you can go and find that will somehow agree with your philosophy and not not only agree, but support it. But you must be careful. You must be considerate of the source. Do they get their source from the source of absolute truth, which is the word of God? And so John is saying, be very careful of the voices that are out there. You see, we live in a society that people flee, go somewhere else if they can't get what they want that fits their lifestyle. Yesterday, I had a a real near-miss head-on collision. Just, it it was the grace of God, just the grace of God and his protection. It should have happened. But by God's grace, it didn't happen. And it's interesting, as I'm I'm thinking about this message, and I was thinking, boy, as I I start to dig into this message, this is difficult information to give because this will require you and require me to ask some hard questions. Am I really a Christ follower? And if I'm a Christ follower, then what are the truths that I'm living out in my life? And I wonder, what part of that collision that was almost took place was the enemy saying, I don't want you to deliver this message, but God's saying, I want you to deliver this message. We must know what it means to follow Christ. So as I was mowing yesterday and and thinking through this message, I began to think through what it must look like or could look like or should look like or what I should be doing if I'm a Christ follower. And, and if I believe the word of God, then how do I play it out so that I don't get led astray? Is there evidence in our lives that would deeply convict us of being a Christ follower? So just let this partial list just kind of resonate through your heart and ask some questions. 
We call ourselves Christ followers, but we don't pray unless it's for our needs only. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we dare not tithe, but we give more money to train our kids to be athletes than we do to train our kids to be godly. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we don't serve anymore because we don't like a way a ministry is operated. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we don't follow, especially if it interrupts our comfort and schedules. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we're not willing to unite around truth because it's not how we think it should go. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we refuse to forgive because we think it should go and happen another way in a person's life. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we worry over and over again when the word of God and Jesus said, drop your concerns and do not worry. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we judge others and hold things against people for months and years and decades and centuries. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we don't love others because they did something to our kids. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we don't share Christ because we're afraid what people might think of us or might require us to live differently. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we aren't willing to give up something for the benefit of another because we have the rights to do what we're doing. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we want more from the church than we expect from ourselves. We call ourselves Christ followers, but we don't encourage and build others up. Instead, we are quick to tear them down and to hold grudges against them. We call ourselves Christ followers, and we're loaded with fear, and we play it safe. Yet God says, fear not, and make risk a normal operating procedure. We call ourselves Christians, but are we really Christians? So the question is this today. Is there evidence in your life that you are all in for Jesus, or have you been drug away in believing a partial truth? Is there enough evidence to convict you of the way that you live your life? Or was that very list bothersome to you? Kyle Alderman also said this in his book, Not a Fan, that it's a great read. He said this, he pastors the church. He said, at the church where I'm in pastor, someone sent an email asking to be removed from the church membership. The stated reason for leaving read as follows, and this is all it said. Here's the reason. I don't like Kyle's sermons. That's all it said. He said, that begs for some kind of explanation. So I decided to call the person. I checked the name of the person and got the phone number. I wanted to confirm that it wasn't my wife, he said. That would have been awkward. I was driving in my car and called him on my cell phone. I would suggest that when making this type of call from your personal phone, first go to settings on your phone, then show me caller ID, and then turn it off. Do not attempt while driving. When he answered, I simply said, Hey! This is Kyle Eidelman. I understood you're leaving the church because you don't like my sermons. There was a brief silence. I caught him off guard just as I had planned. It was awkward for a moment. And then he started talking, rambling, really trying to express what he meant. Somewhere in the middle of this lengthy explanation, he said something. 
what he said was not meant to be encouraging, but his words caused me to breathe such a sigh of relief that tears came to my eyes. I pulled over to the side of the road, grabbed a pen, and wrote down what he said. And this is what he said. Well, whenever I listen to one of the messages, I feel like you are trying to interfere with my life. You ever feel that way? Yeah, um, he says, that's kind of like my job description. But do you hear what he was saying? He's saying, I believe in Jesus. I'm a big fan, but don't ask me to follow. I don't mind coming to church on the weekends. I'll pray before meals. I'll even slap a Jesus fish bump on my bumper. I don't want Jesus to interfere with my life. When Jesus defines the relationship he wants with us, he makes it clear that being a fan who believes without making any real commitment to follow isn't an option. John is saying, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard, there are antichrists out there, and the antichrist could be alive. And he's saying, make sure you know the truth. Because if you don't, you could be drug away and led astray. John is reminding us that there's only one source of truth, the word of God. You see, God's way and the world's way will lead to two completely destinations, different destinations. Antichrists give you an opinion. God's word is not another opinion. It's the truth. You see, I believe the truth of God's word, even if it means I have to stand all by myself. And so should you. I believe the truth because, you know why I believe the truth? Because I know the author of the truth. And the author of the truth is 100% accurate without sin in any way. And the author of this truth is God. So you have a decision to make. Will I believe another truth or will I go back and hold everything I'm doing and use the word of God as a measuring stick, as a, as a, 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 a gauge to determine if it is truth? John is saying there will be many voices out there trying to speak another voice. More than ever, it's time for Christians to stand for truth even when you are not liked by the masses. So he says in verse 19, he says, there have been people who said that they were speaking truth. And look what happened to him in verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained. The word meno means they would have been there. But their going showed that none of them did what to us? Belong to us. I can think of an individual right now, pastor of a church, that one time I actually visited his church. And I remember he put out a set of, of, of videos that were just phenomenal. Just like, oh my goodness, I've never seen such art and creativity and, and driving home a point. And I remember watching some of these videos and like being moved to the core of my, of my being. And they came wrapped in blue containers. And, and I remember thinking, wow, these are powerful and then I began to, to get more word from, from him, and, and, and he began saying things like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I started to sense the Spirit just kind of saying, whoa, something's up with that. And then I remember him moving even farther and farther away from the truth, and he came out with a book 
that, that, that said love wins, that somehow God would never send people to hell, that everyone gets to the end, that there, there's this place that we all go to because God is love. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. And now this person has been moved completely away from his church and now is in a place where he's producing his own show. And, but there was a time, it's like, it seemed like, and it, like, there seemed to be evidence, and it seemed like there was something there. Yet, he moved far from the truth. I wonder as we look at God's word if we go there first to be sure that it's his truth. John is saying there will be many voices out there. But we can't pick and choose truth. There's only one truth. So how do you determine it? You read God's word. I mean, isn't that why 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said to the young pastor, he said, study to show thyself approved, King James, unto God. Study to show thyself approved on God. And, and it's, there's this principle there. The only way you know truth is by spending time in the truth book. You can't know the truth if you're not spending time in the book of truth. He reminds him, too, that the Antichrist is coming. You see... If Jesus didn't think he could handle life without knowing the scripture inside and out, what makes you think you can? I mean, when I think of it, it's like, even my Savior, who walked in the incarnate form, who walked on earth, even he himself, he spent time in the Old Testament. He spent time reading. He knew it. When Satan came along, he spoke Deuteronomy right back at him. He spent time in his word because he knew that that was the resource for truth, and he better spend himself time in the book so he can approve himself as a workman that follows God. Why do I tell you all this? Because some, John said, are being deceived. Turn to Matthew chapter 7, and I'll show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. And look at verses 21 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Yesterday, as I was uh, mowing grass in late afternoon, I was thinking through this message, which often is the case. Saturday afternoons, I kind of just kind of just soak on the message, and I have it when I leave on Fridays. It's written, and and so as I'm riding on the mower and praying, and I prayed for you, and I prayed for favor and blessing and protection and holy boldness on you, and I said for those that show up tomorrow, God, I pray that you'll put this upon them and give them this gift. And so as I was praying and. I was riding along and, and I was memorizing scripture and speaking scripture and praying and driving and dodging the Martins that were trying to kill the mosquitoes and just and riding along, just ADD kicked in and was trying to stay focused and have straight lines. And as I'm, as I'm, as I'm riding along, just this picture came to me that was just like unbelievable. It's like I got lost in my yard. And I pictured people standing before God because this was fresh on my heart. I pictured pastors and elders and deacons and, and ministry leaders and Sunday school teachers. And I saw these people standing before God as I'm mowing. And, and I saw the look on their faces of like, 
what? It was just this, this utter look of shock as they're standing before God because this was fresh on my face. And, and so it was, it was like as if God said, Jim, this is what it's going to be like. Like the people standing there that, that, that think they're in, they're going to be in for the shock of their lives. People who know they haven't followed Christ, they're not going to be shocked. But there's going to be this large group of people standing before God. And the look I saw on their faces was they were just petrified, like, and, and almost like, are you kidding me? And, and trying to defend. And I saw people from all walks of life that I've known and people that, that, and I thought, oh man, I pray God that that's not the case. And here's why this thought came to me. Look at Matthew chapter seven and look at verses 21 to 23. Jesus said these words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of what? Heaven. Then look at the conjunction here. But, what's the next word? Only. Not everyone, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. In other words, the one who lives out and acts out on these commands. The one who who believes in the great commission. The one who lives out the great commandment. The one who says, I'm a follower of God and I will not fear. The one who actually believes the truth and lives it out does the will of my Father. You know, doing the will of the Father is to obey his commandments. And so Jesus said, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And then he said this, how many will say to me on that day? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Lord, did we not lead a small group? Lord, did we not play on the worship team? Lord, didn't we not walk in the 4-H prayer parade? Lord, did we not pray on Wednesday night? Lord, did we not lead a kid's city group? Lord, weren't we pastors? Lord, weren't we elders? Lord, didn't we pray over people to be healed? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. And so there seems to be this picture. Jesus said this. He said, there will be a day when people who think, who have a form of godliness, will stand before God and he will say this in verse 23. Then I tell you, then I will tell them plainly. In other words, I won't... I won't add anything to it. I'll just cut to the chase. I never, what? Knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. And yesterday as I was mowing, it was like, oh my. It was just this this picture of panic, like desperation. Like, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. Here's the proof. I did, 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 did this. And he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. And you know where that destination is? And it says, many, many will stand before him on that day, thinking that I should be in. And he's going to say, away from me. And your destination is in the pit of hell to burn forever and ever and ever. So as I'm driving, I start to well up these tears in my heart. I'm saying, oh God, please, please. May we never see anyone who comes to Grace Community Church hear those words. Please, God, if there's anyone on our teams anywhere that have a form of godliness but don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, may tomorrow be the day of salvation. Please, God, please. 
So I asked this question, like, is there evidence in your life? Or was there evidence? Like, like when John said, they used to, they used to, they used to be Sunday school teachers. They used to be all in. They used to serve. They used to be unified. They used to, they used to, they used to. Now they're combative. Now they left. Now they want themselves. Now they're selfish. Now, now, now. They used to. Are you a used to, John says? Here's what I know to be true. I officiate weddings, and there's vows that the bride makes to the groom. I'll do this, I'll do that, and afterwards I have a very special time with them. It's a precious moment where I get to see the bride write her new name all by herself. It's like first time she gets to write the new name. It's like it's such a it's a it's a precious moment that I can have, and I'll say you can write your new name, and you know they've been practicing it, you know. So here it is, and they write it out and. And so on this document that says that they're officially married, they've also committed to these vows before God and these witnesses that they'll live out these things. And so we have all kinds of, of covenants that we sign. We have expectation lists of, 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 of churches. We have membership expectations that some of you signed. Yeah, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. We have business agreements that we sign. Yeah, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do that. We have, we have creeds that we've signed. We have vows that we signed. Let me ask you a question. Have you kept your word? I was reminded of that this Friday night. Um, I watched one of our own uh, get married, Rusty Edwards and Daniel Swift. And as I'm at this wedding, uh, which we knew it was going to be a wedding, and we weren't sure how it was going to play out, but he had put enough out there. We knew he was getting married. So anyhow. So I'm at this ceremony, and in this ceremony, he actually got down on his knee and Obviously, they had prepared into it, and, and he said, not will you marry me. He said, will you marry me right now? And they got married right now. But in the vow part of the ceremony, he pulled out a creed that he had signed along with many other men that I know. And he took this creed that he had signed, and he laid these vows before his wife and turned it into saying, I will do this for you. He said, I will shamelessly stand for Jesus Christ in word and action. I will fight to hell and back for my family and for my home. I will lead and be led. In the absence of orders, I will take the lead to accomplish the mission. I will not leave any teammates behind. I will not leave you behind. And he said, I will never quit or run from my enemy or my responsibilities. And he said, if I'm knocked down, I'll get back up. There will always be fight left in me until I die. Then he said, I will work harder than anyone else to be stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Then he said, my word is my bond with honor, character, compassion, strength, and courage. I will follow through. Then he said, as a tender warrior, I will keep my soul refreshed, fully alive and balanced. Then he said, I will battle injustice in our world, defending the helpless, overlooked, and abused so that freedom can reign. Then he said, my training is never complete. I commit to a lifelong pursuit of excellence, creativity, innovation, and godliness. Then he said, I will bravely and relentlessly carry the name of Jesus Christ and the proud tradition of the heroes of my faith until death falls upon me or Jesus takes me home. And he said, I will voluntarily, as he's looking at her, accept the hazards of my calling. I will not whine. I will not complain or make excuses for my life, but will write a new legacy of hope and victory. And I had to ask the question, how many of you have signed that creed? 
How many of you men have signed that creed and are living up to that creed that you signed? How many have taken off? See, I, I sat there and everyone else was, I started to tear up. because I remember writing that thing. I remember the first time I signed to think, man, this, this means something. This means I'm not going to put my name on something that I'm not committed to. I'm not going to sign something. I'm not going to tell my wife I do in sickness and health for better or worse unless I'm not going to sign an expectation. I'm not going to sign a business agreement unless my name means something that carries the name of Jesus Christ and it is truth. But does our signature mean anything in our world? Like when you sign up and say, I'll be there. I'll be part of that. Has... Our names just been like become letters that our word isn't our bond anymore. John is saying, hey, if that's the case, then you better ask the question. Am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? You see, because followers of Jesus Christ follow through on their word. So it got me thinking about ways that this has crept into our own lives. How about loyalty to God and God alone? Loyalty is a disappearing characteristic in our world today. We are always looking for the next best thing or job, possession, friendship. At one time, loyalty meant something. Like, it was a value that, that we, that, like, 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 came from our pores. Like, I remember my stepfather looking at me and saying, Jimmy, when you commit to something, you finish it. Jimmy, you remain loyal to God. Jimmy, you remain loyal to the right things. And I remember just like, if, if I signed in, if, like, like if, you, if I'm on your team, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight and I'm going to give everything I got and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you everything I got. I'm going to leave it all on the court. And Jesus is saying through John, listen, we must leave everything on the court or you got to ask the question, am I one of his followers? I was a kid, I was encouraged to do the loyal thing. I wonder if we've let the lack of loyalty creep into our walks because it's a little inconvenient. It's like, I usually like to do this at that time. I like to do that. It's too hard. It's too difficult. But I wonder if you would write a check for your kid's band camp and sports camp and drive them all over creation to get them there, but you couldn't invest money in them knowing Jesus Christ and spending time with them at youth group or momentum or a place where they can grow in Christ. See, here's the problem. You want me to speak candidly? We're raising kids and adults today that are more interested in them becoming stars and not Jesus followers. See, I don't care if you like me right now. So loyalty causes us to fight for each other, not against each other, and for the right things. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. I used to think this. Maybe I was just naive as a young man. But as you get older, you're not as naive about things. I used to think as people age that they leave their childish ways. But that isn't always true, is it? I mean, come on. People still get easily offended. They hold grudges. They take their ball and leave. They want their way and they tear other people down in the process to lift themselves up. They just do it in an adult way. They drive away instead of run away. 
Isn't that why 1 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things away. John is warning us, Grace, please hear me today. You better be careful or you will be pulled away too. And so as I was riding on this lawnmower, this thought occurred to me, please, God, I don't want to be that person. God, don't ever let me, God, kill me before that happens, God. Take my life before I disgrace you. I never want to be the person that you say, remember that Jim Brown dude? He used to be on fire for Jesus on the front lines, but slowly things change. He compromised here and he compromised there. Listen, listen to me. If you know me and you see me walking away from Jesus Christ, just go ahead and shoot me. I would rather die than disgrace my God and my family. You see, that's commitment to a cause of Jesus Christ. By the way, don't ever stop checking me as I preach against God's word, too. Like, don't take like, well, Pastor Jim said it. Listen, you must believe the B-I-B-L-E more than you believe J-I-M-M-I-E. So John said, watch out, or you too will be led astray. You know, I'm a keen observer of the obvious sometimes. And I watch people and And I always pray, God, give me a pure heart when I make a look or view. God, give me a spirit of discernment. God, give me wisdom as I watch people. Listen, I'm not the dumbest kid or the smartest kid on the block. But listen, I know when something is out of whack in someone's life. Not because of me, because the spirit in me says, oh, that's not good. Oh, I see him slipping. Oh, oh, oh. And you can ask my wife. It's a gift of prophecy. I can look at a situation and say, something's wrong. And because of that, I can look at my own life. I have beat the snot out of myself from time to time because, Jimmy, get back. See, John reminds us here that the Holy Spirit is the gatekeeper of truth. Look what he says in verse 25, 20 through 25. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all you know the truth. I do not write to you, Grace Community, or this early church, because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Is it whoever denies that Jesus is Christ? Such a person is an antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. John reminds us that the Holy Spirit that comes upon you when you're born again, when you're baptized in the Spirit at salvation, not later, at salvation, you are baptized in the Spirit, he will confirm He will say, that's truth. Yes, the Spirit lives in us, but here's what I also know. Sin quenches the Spirit. And when it does, we lose our ability to see and act clearly to deal with sin in our lives. That's why John is saying, watch out, church, watch out. It's a subtle drift from the mooring point of truth. It's either I was saved, I am saved, and I've quenched the spirit, or maybe I wasn't saved. You see, when one begins to remove the hard lines of truth and soften sin and develop a tolerance for sin, they can be easily deceived and often don't see it. 
The Bible tells us this, that we can be filled with the Spirit. Those, those are those moments in our walk where just supernaturally, there's these, these instantaneous moments where we're filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit to do things, see things, and hear things, and operate in ways that we did in prayer. There's these moments in our walk as we draw near to God where we're filled with the Spirit, and there's this great visitation of God on our lives in such a way that we're able to make a difference in the kingdom, not based on our works, but because we postured ourselves to reflect his good works. There's ways that we can do that, he says. But we also know this to be true. We can't reflect good works from God if the, good, the giver of good works doesn't live in us. When one begins to remove the hard lines of truth, Sin and soften sin, he begins to compromise his walk with Jesus Christ. Let me just ask a question. Just you can you don't have to raise your hand. When was the last time you had a visitation from God that left you speechless and gave you wobbly knees? Can you think of a time? And it doesn't have to be like it could be you're sitting in a tree stand. You could be driving your kid to school. When is the last time you had such a visitation from God that it left you with an acute awareness that, wow, God is here? Another clear example of deception is one claims that there are many ways to God. So John addresses there's only one eternal life. Let me be clear. Let, Let me be crystal clear. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. Buddhists end up in hell. Muslims go to hell. Do we love them? Yes. But listen, if they continue on the track they're on, they don't end up in the same place with the same God. They end up in hell. Allah is not the God we serve. Muhammad is not the God we serve. There is not another testament of Jesus Christ like the Mormons believe. There is not purgatory like the Catholics believe. You die once and you face judgment. You can't pray, wish, or give to your church to get someone into heaven. There are no second chances after you breathe your last breath. There are not 144,000 only who make it to heaven like the Jehovah Witness say. Doing good will never be enough to gain salvation and eternal life. There is only one way, and Jesus said it in John 14, 6. Where do I get that? I get it from the book of truth because the author of the book tells the truth, and he said, I am the way, I am the truth. There is no way to the Father except through me. No one else but through Jesus Christ. Bank on it. So what does that mean? It means this, you stand up and a loving Peter says, be prepared to tell an answer with gentleness and respect and say, no, you're wrong. I love you too much not to tell you the truth. You've been deceived. Please listen to me. Would you listen to me? There's only one way. And there's only one mediator between God and man, Titus tells us, and it's Jesus Christ, not a priest. See, that's truth. Are you willing to stand for that? You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ alone, you don't need to front load or back load the gospel either. 
Let me just briefly talk about that. I am fed up with this front-loading and back-loading the gospel stuff. When I read the word of God, it says we're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Like, you don't have to get cleaned up. Listen to me, those of you who don't know Christ, listen. He loves you even if you are an addicted to, to pornography. He loves you even if you're a drug addict. He loves you even if you're a pervert. He loves you even if you're an adulterer. He loves you in your pit of sin. He says, I can help you deal with that sin. I went to the cross for that sin, and I can save you from that. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's not get cleaned up. It's not that I'm not good enough. It's not that I need to read. It's not that I need to do all these things. Listen, there is no front-loading the gospel in the Bible. That's called heresy. By the way, there's no back-loading the gospel in the Bible either. Fed up with that too. Like somehow, once you get saved, you got to keep it. Like you got to keep doing something. Listen, how can a God who says, when, you, when I'll give you everlasting life, is he going to renege on his word when he says that's eternal life? I always say, what part of eternal isn't eternal? Now it doesn't give you a permission or a license to sin. But I tell you, once you encounter Jesus Christ, don't you want to live for him? It's enough of this backloading and frontloading the gospel. I don't care if I get in trouble with that. Send them my way. I just want to tell them the truth. Because that's truth. That's why the Bible says, though, and John is saying, hey, you better test yourself. And you better work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not keep your salvation. Work it out. In other words, you're already saved. Work it out, live it out. Because if you're not living it out and working it out, then guess what? There might not be salvation in you. I have a major concern as I watch Christ followers age and pull away. And I have to ask this question. Does the Holy Spirit ever say you have done your time so just coast and fill your schedule with other activities? It begs an answer. Is that person really saved? I mean, Johnson, <laughs> there was a time. There was a time. But you know what? They didn't believe the real truth. They were just causing disunity and trying to pull people away. I'm concerned that I see people as they age who call themselves Christ followers less in than they've ever been in their whole lives. And by the way, or, you know, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. A person makes time for what's important to them. You know, I'm not, like I say, the smartest and dumbest kid on the block. But listen, I, I know when, when, when people make time at the same day, the same time for other things, and they say they don't have time for this because of something. Listen, that's pretty obvious. It's more than you don't have time. It's a decision for a reason why you're not committed to that. And so John says this as he wraps this up. He says this in verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. Listen, he said, if Christ is in you, then you better live differently. And you do not need anyone to teach you because the Holy Spirit is your teacher. But as his anointing teaches you about all these things, and as that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And here's why. He wraps up this little section. He says, and now, dear children, Grace Community Church, 
Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be what? What's the word? Confident and what? Unashamed before him at his coming. Are you? Like, how many creeds have you signed that you haven't held up to? How many vows have you committed to that you only, I only do it if she does it or he does it? How many expectation lists have you lived up to? How many business agreements have you followed through? How, how many times have you made a handshake and you'd follow through? How many times are you living? How are you living out your faith? Are you doing it? Or is there evidence to say it begs a question, answer to a question? Maybe I don't follow Christ like I said I did. You see, we long for companionship and friendship in our world, and they bring us comfort. Yet often the desire of companionship can leave us making poor choices and being led astray by wrong people because we want to be married, we want friends, we like having fun. You know, we'll tell our kids, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character, don't be misled. But listen, how about adults reading that and applying that? We are quick to point out this to our children, but I believe adults struggle with it more. Let me ask you a question. Have you compromised in decisions when hanging out with your friends? How many of you are compromising in dating relationships? How many of you have friends where your light doesn't shine, but it gets shut off? Here's a great thing to do when you're hanging out with your adult friends. Gather them together, no matter what you're doing, and just pray. Hey, before we go here, before we eat this, before we spend time having fun, hey, spirit, Open our eyes to a lost world around us. May we be on mission as we go to these places. And may the aroma of Jesus Christ be left when we leave. When you spend time with your friends, would others around you know that you are a Christ follower? Do these people pull, pull more Jesus out of you or less of him? John warns us that we can be led astray. If you see anything you want more than you want Jesus in any area of your life, then run from it. Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. My fear is this, Grace Community, that some of you are going to stand before God in utter shock and amazement when he says, I never knew you. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? Lord, I, I love you and I know Many in these rooms love you too with all their hearts. Many have served you faithfully day in and day out on a regular basis for a very, very long time. Many of them used to. Many have found reasons why they can't or couldn't or some are happening in childish ways. Some have signed creeds and commitments and vows and haven't followed through. Some continue to. There's some and there's many. Some 
you'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Many, you'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. God, in a room of this size, in a room in the link, I please ask you, Lord, Holy Spirit who lives in those who are truly born again, I pray that you would just sweep over their hearts. For once, tell them not to look at another person, but to look at themselves and ask this question. Where have I compromised? Where am I letting something that someone did keep me from following you? Where have I let selfishness replace others? Where have I sinned? Where do I need to get back on the tracks? Because time is short and the rapture could occur today. I don't know what God is speaking, nor do I want to in your hearts. That's between you and him. But I'm going to ask you to do something because this is is John's warning to us today. Some of you think Some of you have been led astray. Some of you, your light has been snuffed out for one reason or another. John is saying, through the work of the Holy Spirit, listen, deal with it. It's either all in or not in. So I want you to do something. We're not going to play music. We're not going to dim the lights. We're not going to prolong. I'm going to ask you to do something that might cause you to walk through some pride. Maybe some embarrassment. But it shouldn't matter because it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks. If there's an area in your life that you say, God, I need you to take care of this. God, I repent of this. God, I've slipped away. God, I've become complacent. God, I've compromised. God, I've let this issue keep me from pressing on in my walk. God, I've become the person that I said I would never become. And until you deal with it, You've caused a huge separation between you and God in your relationship. So if you have some business to do, I'm just going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to leave your seat. Just walk up front, kneel, deal with it. I'm not going to prolong this. We're not going to play music. It's either you, you want to or you don't want to. I'm just going to ask you to come. some of you, we've been to this point before and you've left the service and you said, I should have went forward and dealt with it. And you took the same baggage from the seat and you took it home. And here you are again. So I ask you a question. Will you serve God or will you believe the enemy? I ask you to come.
Lord, I pray in an unusual way that your spirit would move on these right here in the front that were courageous enough to walk forward and say, you know what, I have some areas in my life that I've compromised that I need you to do business with. I pray, God, I pray like they've never witnessed before. I pray that you would visit them in an unusual way. I pray that they would begin to see things fall into place in their homes, in their marriages, in their businesses, in their lives like never before. I pray that their light is so bright that thousands run to Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that the relationships that they build, I pray for restoration in broken relationships. I pray for reconciliation. I pray, God, that whatever they put their hands to, you will bless. We love you, God, too much to compromise, too much to allow twisted truth to keep us from being all that we need to be. May you move in a mighty way. And for the others, God, that are here, I pray, Lord, that they would continue to press on. I pray that the light of Christ would continue to shine brightly from them. I pray that thousands would run to Jesus. And I pray for those who are seated, who continue to refuse to admit that there's an area in their life that needs work. I pray, Spirit, that you'll do what you're good at. I pray that they will not sleep another night until you deal with it. Lord, may the bride of Jesus Christ at Grace Community Church be a bride that offers hope and health and eternal life to our world. And God, my prayer is this, that there will never be a person who calls themselves a grace attendee ever stand before you and you say, I never knew you. Help us, God. Help us to do the hard thing and the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.